Well, we're continuing a series. We took a couple of weeks off. We've been talking about the overcoming fellowship, the overcoming fellowship. That God's called us as a church to be a church, a body of believers that overcome, that overcome the, the things of this world, overcome the places where the enemy has established strongholds, to see us overcome in our lives personally. We've talked in the midst of this series about the overcoming life, how we see the Lord, how we can usher in seasons of victory and blessing in our lives. Well, this morning we're going to continue uh, with, with the Overcoming Fellowship. This mes- the message this morning is entitled, Advancing the Kingdom Through Giving. Advancing the Kingdom Through, through Giving. See, we are the church. We're the called out ones, the ecclesia, which means the ones who are called out. It's the same name. It's the same word that we use to describe Israel, who were called out of being slaves in Egypt and into a promised land. We're the church. We're the called out ones, called out of darkness and sin and destruction and into life and blessing. We talked about the prophetic witness of his love, that we are called to be the prophetic witness of his love. I want to clarify something real quickly as well. I, I got a, a question back to me because I made a statement and said, hey, we're all prophets. We're all prophets because we all display we're the prophetic witness of his love. And there's, there's a question about, well, well the, I've heard that I'm not a prophet, that some are prophets. When I, when I say that you're a prophet, what I'm not talking about is the spiritual gift of prophecy. And there is a function or is a purpose. Uh, there's a, 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 a gift specifically given to prophecy. When I say that you're a prophet, I'm not talking about that. Pro- prophecy is simply this. It is declaring the truth of God. That is that you are being prophetic when you do that. It is that, that forthtelling. Not foretelling where it's I'm seeing something of the future or getting a glimpse into things that I don't have an understanding about. It's simply this. Foretelling is I am declaring the truth of who God is. And we are all called to do that. Amen? So I just wanted to make sure to clarify that. The prophetic witness of his love. That word uh, for love there is agape. We're called to agape. We're called to love the world and love people with an uncommon love. To love each other. The world will know you're his disciples. How? Because you go to church every week? No, because you love each other. Agape, a love that comes from God, can break through all of those chains and it can shine a light into the darkness darkness like like nothing else. Uh, We talked about the prophetic witness of his righteousness. We serve a righteous God, a holy God, and he calls us to live the same way as we're being conformed to the image of his son. That we're called to live righteously. Because here's the deal. People are watching you. Right? People are watching. Not in a creepy kind of way. Alright? Okay, maybe. But, but people are watching your life. Especially when they hear you say, I'm a Christian. Now they're watching you twice as much. They're watching your life. They're watching how you live. They're watching the evidence of, of how you live your life. And remember we talked about it's the small things that make a huge difference. We talked about the Challenger, the shuttle that went up. And that, that O-ring that, that disintegrated and causes, caused the catastrophic failure of that space, spaceship. It's the small things. And those areas in our lives where we can't compromise. Why? Because people are watching. And we need to be the prophetic witness of God's righteousness in the world. That is who we are as the church. Well, this morning I'm going to talk about giving. And I got to tell you, this is one of those messages, it's one of those areas that uh, I know I'm not alone in this as a pastor that you kind of wrestle with. Like, a, oh man, we're going to preach about tithing. All right, Lord. And I've wrestled back and forth. Now, I, I don't have any problems with tithing, but here's what I know is that there's this weird tension that exists with money and the church. Am I right? There's this, just this funky tension that's there, this underlying, like, uh, well, it's just weird. And we're, we walk on eggshells around this stuff, and we're like, well, we don't want to talk about it. Or, or heaven forbid that a guest would visit our church on this Sunday, we talk about tithing. And we kind of shy away from it, and we have skirt the issue. There's other things that we'll just call it out. We'll, we'll address things as they need to be addressed. 
Can I just clear the air a little bit this morning as we jump in? That weird tension doesn't come from the Lord. That weird tension doesn't come from the Lord. And if it doesn't come from God, it comes from somewhere else, right? Because you better believe that the enemy of our souls wants to bring kind of this funkiness into the areas of our lives that God says, I've ordained that and I've set that in place and I have a purpose for that. And that's holy before me. And so it doesn't have any room. The the weirdness, the funkiness, no room here. No room in this place. Uh, We won't give it that room. See, here's the thing. My commitment to you as a pastor is to teach all of Scripture, not some of Scripture. I want to teach you the whole Word of God. Everything that's contained here, I want you to hear it. I want you to know it. And I don't want you just to hear it from me. You've heard already referenced a few times this morning. Uh, the, the journaling, being in the journal. Thanks for that word, Sean. That being in your life journal, hearing about what happened with Hezekiah and Isaiah, that we can be informed this morning about the things that happened thousands of years ago, but uh, read about the truth of God's word and say, look at how this affects me today. That's powerful. But I want, I want to be consistent. I want to make sure that I'm teaching all of God's word because first of all, that's what he's called me to do. And I don't want to be slacking on the job. But secondly, because we need to hear it. You know that the Bible talks about money a lot. It really does. God talks about money a lot. And here's what I know of of the Lord and His Word. When He addresses things a lot, it's usually because He knows we struggle. We have a hard time, that things get funky and things get weird. And so he wants to help us and give us everything we need to be able to understand his heart and walk in obedience to the thing his, things he's called us to. And so I, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to throw that out there right up front. We're going to have this conversation. We're going to hopefully clear the air a little bit. I'm going to be bold this morning. I want to be bold as I talk about money, as I talk about tithing, because I believe at the heart of this is some breakthrough for us as believers uh, that is sorely needed in the world that we live in today. And I don't want to shy away. I don't want to walk on eggshells. If you need to have a follow-up conversation with me afterwards or grab a cup of coffee for clarification, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to do that. But my prayer this morning is this, that the Lord would do something in your heart today. And maybe you're someone who's been faithfully tithing and, and giving of offerings for years and years and years, and you're like, I'm good to go. Here's my prayer for you, that the Lord takes it to the next level for you. And if tithing is being an area of struggle for you, or maybe you're just like, what's tithe? My, my prayer this morning is that you would hear the word of the Lord for you today. So Father God, have your way. We open our hearts to your word to receive what it is you would speak to us. Help us to hear your spirit, your heart for us in the area of finances. In your name, amen. So let me start out this way. I want to address some myths. There's some myths. I think there's some myths that exist both uh, in the world as the world looks at the church. And I think there's some myths that exist inside the church. Okay, and I, I again, I'm just going to be frank. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be blunt. Whatever you want to call it, I'm just going to throw it out there so that through this message, my hope is this: that as the enemy starts uh, bringing thoughts into your mind, that they won't be a distraction. Not that the, the enemy has some funky hold on you. I'm, this is what I'm saying. But here's what I know: that he wants to distract us from the main thing. So if we can ad- address some myths right up front. Hopefully, then we'll be in a place where we're engaged. Okay, so here's, here's myth number one. God wants your money. It's a myth. God doesn't want, nor does God need your money. Primarily because it's already His. Right? So He doesn't need what's yours. So it's not like this, this idea, this perspective of God. Like God's just going, I hope they give me something. It's false. It's a myth, and, and it shapes people's thinking, right? It, it, is it true? Are there people in the world who think, like, God just wants my money, right? My hard-earned dollars, God wants just, he wants a pound of my flesh. Or it's like penance, right? I got I to gotta pay God back. No, God doesn't want or need your money. How about this one? The church just wants my money. The church just wants my money. 
Unfortunately, some of that is founded in, tr- in truth in that there have been churches throughout history that did lose sight of what their mission was and they became businesses. Okay, so there's some truth to this. But I tell you what, the church as it's defined, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the sons and daughters of God, the bride of Christ, does not want your money. This church, I have to be careful here. (laughs) This church, this pastor is not standing in a place today where I'm like, I want or I need your money. Now there's, there's an interesting tension that exists in my life because I work here. Right? I get a paycheck from New Community Foursquare Church. But can I tell you, this morning, I want to say this boldly, you don't pay my paycheck. You don't pay my salary. God does. And in the same way that I would encourage you and say, you know, wherever you work, whoever writes the paycheck and signs it, signs that, they're not the ones who are paying you. All provision comes from God. Oh, it helps me so much because then I can look at you and just go, I just get to love on you. And there's not this thing in the back of my mind going, well, I wonder. By the way, I don't know what you give. I don't. Because here's what I know. If I knew what you gave, it would do weird things to me. And I don't want that. So, so I don't know what you give. We have people in place. We have uh, a team that, that manages our finances. We have a church council that stewards our finances as a church. But I know for, as a pastor, my, my concern is this. People coming to know God, grow in Him, serving Him, serving like Jesus did and going into all the world. Just like our, our vision statement, right? That's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about lives. And so for me, at the end of the day, it's this. God, you're my source. You're my provision. The church doesn't want your money. How about this one? Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will give. It's a myth. Everybody's business is nobody's business. And that God is calling each one of us to be responsible for the things we're supposed to be responsible for. So I can't compare myself to other people. I can't be like, well, Lord Sergio over there, well, he, you know what... He's probably, he's probably giving, so I'm off the hook. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. That God's saying, this is, this is not about you kind of picking and choosing, saying, well, someone else will take care of it. If God's calling you to give, he's calling you to give. And we have to be people who respond to the voice of God. How about this myth, that there's something in it for you? The prosperity gospel. And if you give... It's like, it's like an infomercial, right? Give today, and we'll throw in, right? Call in the next 10 minutes, and you'll also get. Tithing is not about what you get. Tithing is not a transaction where you pay God, and he provides some kind of service. God is not the mob. God is not the mafia. Tithing to your local church is not about you paying God off so that bad stuff doesn't happen to you. And and church, people believe this stuff. And it makes it weird and funky because that's just weird and funky. Right? It's not about what's in it for you. Here's, Here's the deal. You already have it all. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a son and daughter of the Most High, there is nothing that God is withholding from you. You already have it all. Everything. And so this idea that if I tithe, I'm going to get something back. And there's principles and laws of sowing and reaping that we'll talk about in a minute. But the motivation is completely different. And so this is not like some kind of investment deal Hey, have I got a deal for you, right? That's not what this is. Here's what it is. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. See, God's all concerned about what's going on inside of here. Notice I didn't even say it's a matter of your thinking. See, because your thinking will be influenced by what's going on inside of your heart. And God wants to deal with our hearts. Our hearts mean a lot to you. See, few things expose the the heart more than money. 
Few things expose what's really happening on the inside of us like money does. Am I right? In fact, what used to be said, you know, if you want to know someone's priorities, look at their checkbook register. I don't know how many people actually use those anymore. Um, Log into your online bank account and look at where you're spending money. There's some great budgeting tools that you can look and go, okay, where's my money going? If you want to know where the priorities of your life are, look at where your money goes. It will tell you a story. And for so many, they just walk in ignorance and don't really even know. God says, no, I'm calling you to something else. I'm calling you to a a higher standard. So it's about the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. What's happening in your heart will affect everything else. It'll affect your decisions. It'll affect your, your relationships. And it will most certainly affect your finances. Jeremiah 17.9. Kind of the contrary scripture here. The heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? Are you encouraged this morning? (laughs) The heart is deceitful. You know it and I know it. We don't need people to tell us that. My heart wrestles. My heart almost led me this week to not preach this sermon today. No joke. I almost said, you know what, Lord, I need a couple more weeks to prepare. And God said, no, you don't. Suck it up. Start listening to your heart and listen to my spirit. (laughs) Okay. Why? Because the heart is deceitful and the heart just wants to do what the heart wants to do. So so check out the, 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 the tension here, right? It is the wellspring of life and it's deceitful. God's saying, if you align yourself with me, if you keep your eyes on me, your, light, your heart will be a place of life. But when you do what you want to do, the opposite happens. And we walk deceived. In fact, James talks about, uh, in the New Testament, he talks about sin. And it's not about the devil made me do it. It's about something birthed inside of my heart. And that desire in my heart led to iniquity and transgression. And so God is committed to us dealing with our hearts. Well, this morning and talking about money, before we get to some practical things, here's what we have to address. We are speaking to, and I say we, I'm, I'm, doing the one, I'm the one doing the speaking this morning, but we are making a statement as a church, especially when, when you're walking in agreement. I've heard some amens already. We are addressing this morning a stronghold in our culture. And it's a stronghold that's existed for millennia. In fact, Jesus talks about this stronghold. If you would open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. I don't actually have these verses up on the screen. But, but if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 16. It's a parable here in the story that Jesus talks about, about the faithful servant the shrewd manager, the one who's given money to manage and, and people to mar- manage and land to manage and who does a good job with managing. I want to just capture a little bit of what Jesus says here right at the end. Starting in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever can be trusted with a little bit can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling uh, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I love this. Jesus calls it out and he says, listen, my economy, my kingdom economy is different to your economy. It's a different kind of economy. Because there's the riches of this world, and then there's true riches. His kingdom. Amen? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you, your pro- you property of your own? And then he says this in verse 13. 
No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Capital M, money, because he's not addressing a dollar bill. He's addressing a spirit. He's addressing the spirit of mammon. It's a demonic spirit that says to people and declares over people that your wealth, what you have, is all about you. It's about you working harder to get for yourself, to gain, to store up riches here on earth. You remember those t-shirts that said, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? That is the embodiment of the spirit of mammon. And we laugh because, we, because it's funny. And God looks at it and he goes, no. That's not what I'm calling you to. That's not the kind of people. See, there's the spirit of mammon is a spiritual stronghold that Ephesians chapter 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the, the forces of darkness that, that rule this world. They did in Jesus' time and they're still here. And until Jesus cracks the sky and comes back, his feet touch Temple Mount in Jerusalem, we're going to contend in this. And so we have to walk circumspectly. We have to walk aware of the world that we live in. Mammon, the spirit of money, the spirit of greed, exists in our world today. And sadly, it exists in the church. And we have to address it in ourselves. This is not about me calling other people out. Hey, uh, Andrew, I see you in your life. No, that, right? Remember the, the splinter and the log? Right? That, that's where this comes into play. This is the, the posture we should take. Father God, would you cleanse my life? Would you cleanse my heart so that there is no spirit of mammon, that the spirit of mammon has no residence in my life, has no authority in my life, has no place in my life. And that should be the cry of our heart. The spirit has, it shows itself in two primary ways. The first is this, a spirit of poverty. The spirit of mammon is not just about wealth, it's also about poverty. Spirit of poverty is this, that there's never enough. There's never enough. I'm never satisfied. There's never enough. I'm not going to make it. And my life is marked with worry and concern. Because there's never enough. I was on the mission field in the nation of Haiti. One of the, it's the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. And one of the top ten poorest nations in the world. At the time I'm living in Rancho Santa Margarita, California. One of the wealthiest areas in the world per capita. That South Orange County is, there's just a lot of money going from there to Haiti, and I'm walking around and I'm looking at poverty like I've never seen before. And the Lord started speaking to me about poverty. And he said, I need you to see poverty differently. See, because I can go back to Rancho Santa Margarita or even here in Glendora, I was driving some friends around, and man, there's some amazing homes in Glendora. We can drive through our town and go, wow, look at that house. Look how awesome that is. Well, there's no poverty here. Joyce was talking about in, in, in uh, Singapore, how the streets, every street is clean and it's pristine. I, I wanted to know, so I on Google Maps and did like Street View. It's pretty cool. Kind of did a quick tour of, and it's true. There's no trash, there's no poverty, there's no... And we can look at it through human eyes and go, well, that's poverty there and there's no poverty here. And God started showing me that poverty is not about what you have. Poverty is about who you see your source as. Who is your source? See, because I've, I've met some of the richest people in the world living in, in modest, tiny little homes in Nairobi, and in Port-au-Prince, in Vignet. Rich not because of what they have, but because of who their God is. So it doesn't matter about what your checking account says. What matters is who is your source. If anything other than God is your source, you are living in poverty. And poverty is a spirit. 
It's a spirit of mammon that says, I never have enough. God says, I am able to supply every one of your needs according to my riches, right? That everything we need comes from him. The other is this, the spirit of pride. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. What I have, I have because I worked hard for it and no one helped me out, God included. It's pride that would stand in the face of God and say, you had nothing to do with this. I did this on my own. There is nothing Whether your life is surrendered to the Lord or not, there is nothing in your life that you have that he hasn't blessed you with. The Bible says, doesn't God God cause it to rain on the righteous and the wicked, right? He causes it to rain on the righteous and the wicked because he is an amazing God and we can't fathom him. Why? Because he loves with agape. And when we set up these parameters and say, well, you love this way and you love that way, God says, no, I just love. Don't try and figure me out. Spirit of pride that would say, I did it. I worked hard. And you know what? God can't have any of it. And you know what? I'm going to just make more. I'm never satisfied. There's never, I'm never at a place where I'm good. I'm keeping it for myself. God says, no, that's not what I've called you to. When we talk about the overcoming church, that's not the picture he paints. That's not what he's called us to. And he says, reject that spirit of mammon. He goes, because if you buy into the spirit of mammon, whether poverty or pride, you cannot be trusted. You cannot be trusted. I'm not, not trying to be rude, right? Just quoting the word of God. If you can't be trusted with a little bit, God will not trust you with more. And if you can't be trusted with someone else's things, God's not going to give you of your own. These are issues that we have to deal with in our hearts, church. We have to come before the Lord and be honest about where we are. Can I tell you, this has been a struggle in my life. When it comes to tithing and giving and money, I have spent more nights awake in fear, wondering about how we're going to make it than I care to admit. I'm receiving a paycheck from a church, and yet I'm worried about how I'm going to make it. See, because the heart is deceitful about all things, above all things, and about all things, (laughs) if you let it. And so this is not something that some people struggle with and others don't. We've all been here. We all deal with it. If it weren't the case, there wouldn't be that weird funkiness that exists when we talk about the church and money. Am I right? If it weren't the case, but that funkiness exists, that weird tension exists because of the spirit of mammon and because we buy into it and we give it place in our lives and God says, no. See, I grew up in a wealthy family. Grew up in in a home in South Africa in a family. We owned our own business. And growing up, I knew, hey, we're a wealthy family. We, We never lacked for anything. We had some really cool stuff. But I knew something was missing. Years later, in fact, it was just a couple of years ago, I was sitting with my granny, who some of you have met. She's been here on a Sunday before. She's in her late 80s. Well, she's 90 now. And uh, the Lord really got a hold of her life about three years ago. Like, so 86, 87 years old. And I was sitting on the couch just talking to her. And she has a hard time hearing and a hard time seeing. But, but we had a great old chat. And she said to me, said this to me, she goes, you know, we had some really nice stuff in South Africa. I was like, yeah, we did. And she goes, but you know what, Barry? We didn't honor God with our business and with our, with our wealth and our money. So he took it away. <sighs> to hear her say that, there, it was almost palpable, almost like I could feel it, but something was broken in that moment. Something in the spiritual realm was broken in that moment when my little granny, this sweet little lady, recognized that she had not walked in a, in a place of honoring God with finances. And she's the one who did all the books. And she just plainly said, we were dishonest, we cheated, we hid things, we did things that weren't right. And God took it away. This is the truth. This is the reality of it. 
Everything we have comes from him, and we need to honor him with everything we have, not just with the money we make, but how we make it as well. I worked at a church where starting to do graphic design work. I was just, on, just starting to learn about computers and graphic design, and we had this software, um, Adobe software package on one of the computers that I, I thought was pretty cool. Any of you graphic designers, you know Adobe software is not cheap. Well, I discovered that the software we were using as a church was pirated. Someone had burned a DVD or a CD of it and given it to the church. And I went to, and when I found that out, I went straight to the pastor and said, listen, it's going to cost us about $1,200 to buy the software. But we cannot expect to do graphic design work on stolen software and expect God to bless it. We need to get right. So it's not just our money, but how we make it, the things that we have. All right, two kinds of giving, tithes and offering. Tithes and offering. So what is tithe? I'm going to define it for you. Everyone say tenth. Tenth. And with some conviction, tenth. (laughs) Tithe is tenth. Say first fruits. All right, so God defines tithe as this. It's a tenth and it's a first fruits. When Israel came out of Egypt, they had nothing. Everything they had came from God. And he gives them, you know, he deals with, uh, when I say the Bible talks about money a lot, it really does. Starting in Genesis, and he just keeps going all the way through. And he deals with money. He says to the Israelites, I need you to give a tenth of what you have back to me. It's a tenth of whether it was the flock or the grain, and it was the tenth was your first fruit. So, so of your flock, when those lambs are born, when you're, with your, uh, your crops, when you harvest, it was the first thing you did, was you gave back to the Lord. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 3. When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and you have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all of your produce from the soil and of the land the Lord is giving you, and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Can you say, you just insert here, his church. All right? It's his church. And say to the priest in the office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our fathers to give us, forefathers to give us. The tithe was a reminder for them to say, listen, what you have isn't from you because you, have, you had nothing. And I delivered you and I brought you to a place of blessing. And you weren't able to do that yourself. God would say to us this morning, you have what you have because he has blessed you. First and foremost, our minds go to money, but I go to this, salvation, forever. And you could not secure that for yourself. And out of that same heart, the tithe becomes a reminder of what God has done for us. I get to tithe. I don't have to tithe. I get to tithe. You know why? Because I'm now aware of the saving work that God has done in my life. And I get to be a blessing back to him because of what he has done for me. It reminds us of what he has done for us. Malachi 3, 6 through 10. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's a great promise. There's a lot in here. This is the only place in all of Scripture where God says that we can test him, is in the area of finances. In fact, he, he explicitly says in other places, don't test me. Don't go there. But here he says, in the area of finances, test me and see if I won't do this thing for you. Test me and see if I won't bless you beyond what you can even imagine. So, how do we not honor the Lord? He says, how do we return? Because we have robbed God 
of his tithes and offering. Now here's the thing. This, this passage appears in Malachi chapter 3. One chapter before the end of the Old Testament. And there's parts of me that kind of wish it had made it into Matthew. Right? Because there are people who go, well, that's Old Covenant, that's Old Testament. But you know, when you read this verse, this passage, it starts out, I, the Lord, do not change. God put this verse exactly where he needed, to, needed it to be. See, because there are aspects of him, or there's, he doesn't change. We change. He doesn't change. And we say, well, that's, that's Old Covenant. No, Jesus actually came when he said, listen, there's this, the law. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to do what? Fulfill it. And he said, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of one-up it. Where the law says, don't do this, I'm going to say, right? I'm going to take it to the next level. By the, the, the law says, don't kill. But I say, if you look at your brother with anger in your heart, you've done the same. And so we can't use the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant to explain away the tithe. We can't say, no, I don't, I don't have to tithe because that's Old Covenant. No, I am the Lord and I do not change. God says, this is a principle of honoring me that you cannot ignore. It says, you, walk, you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. I do not want to be under a curse. There are those who would say, well, I'm not under a curse because Jesus died for me on the cross. Can I ask you, um, this week, did anyone sin? Anyone here sin? All right. How is that possible? Because the Bible says that your sin was nailed to the cross. Right? We can't use the cross as to just explain away the things that God has called us to. Yes, Jesus took the curse upon him on the tree. But we are living in this time where both his kingdom that is to be established and is being established, but we're still living in this world. And we need to choose where we're going to invest and where we're going to sow. And God says this, I don't want you to live under a curse. I want you to live under blessing. Test me in this. Test me. Bring the tithe and the first fruit into my house and see what I will do. I will open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing you will not have room to contain it. That's the promise of the Lord to you this morning. Hebrews chapter 7 refers to Melchizedek. You can read that on your own. It's a reference also to Genesis chapter 4. Abraham meets this man, Melchizedek, who is a type of Christ, is a picture of Jesus. In fact, uh, many believe, as do I, that Melchizedek was Jesus. In Genesis chapter 4, Jesus shows up. In Abraham, before the law is established, there is no law. Abraham recognizes that this man is unlike any other. He has no genealogy, no mother and no father, that he will live forever, that he is established, he is a priest, right, an eternal priest. And what does Abram do? Abram is a wealthy man, and he gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything. To honor him. It's a great story. We honor the Lord in our tithes. We honor the Lord in our tithes. And we care for his bride. We care for his bride when we tithe. See, because money given to church is not about stuff. It's about people. It's about partnering God. We have the honor of partnering God with God in reaching people for the kingdom. That's why we tithe. That's why we give. We care for his bride and we establish his kingdom. Say, for instance, I was going on a trip. I was going to be gone for five years. And I have a wife and a family to take care of. And during that five years, I was, you know, preaching the gospel somewhere in, you know, outer Mongolia. And I come to three of my friends and I give them each $10,000 and I say, listen, I'm going to give you $10,000 and each month I'm going to give you $10,000 and I want you to invest it and I want you to use it. But here's what I want you to do out of that $10,000 every month. I want you to give a tenth of it to my wife. So that's $3,000 from those three guys. Would you just give it back to my wife and care for my wife while I'm away? Absolutely. You got it. 
I go away for five years and I come back and I follow up when I talk to my wife. So how'd it go? Did you, were you taken care of? Well, you know, this guy, he, yeah, absolutely. He would, every month, $1,000, $1,000, he took care of me. That's great. What about the second guy? You know what? He, he was given 2000 Every month I'd get a check for 2000 Oh, man, that's, that's, you know, 100% more than I asked him to give. What about the third guy? Well, he started out like with 900 a month and then it went down to 300. And then after a few months, the checks just stopped coming. How am I going to feel? How am I going to feel about that guy? Come on, talk to me. I'm going to be ticked off. Because this is my wife. I gave you $10,000 and I asked you to just give a tenth to take care of my bride. And you couldn't do that. Jesus says to us, I want you to take care of my bride. And I'm going to give you, each month, I'm going to give you a portion. And I want you to take a tenth of that portion and take care of my bride. And sow into the work that I have. Jesus is coming back. Listen, this is not about strong-arming you. I am not in a place where I want to stand here today as your pastor and go, you better give. Here's what I know. I want to stand before Jesus one day when he says, hey, did you take care of my bride? Yes, Lord, I did. It started at 10%, but I couldn't just give 10%. I had to give more because I love your bride the way you love your bride. And he calls us to step it up, to care for his church. So a couple of practical things. Where do I tithe? You tithe to the house of the Lord. That's your home. The place where you're fed, the place where you're nourished, the place where you're cared for, the place where God has put his name. Now, we've been talking about the fact that we're the church. We as the people are the church, but we are also a church. This is New Community Church. We pay rent on this building. We pay rent at New Community Center. We have bills that we have to pay. There's salaries. Can I tell you, we're just getting started. God is wanting to do a lot more. A lot more. And so we trust God for his provision, but God's provision flows through his people. God's provision flows through his people. So where do you tithe? You tithe to the church you call home. Now, this is not an invitation then to just church hop. Say, well, I actually technically don't have a church home. Why? Because the heart is deceitful. (laughs) I think I'm kind of getting away with something, and God's like, you sucker. (laughs) You tithe to your home church. When do I tithe? First fruits. Say first fruits. You don't tithe over what's left over. You tithe of what comes in. The first fruits. Because it does something to your heart, and it breaks the power of mammon. I have wrestled, I have struggled. My wife has been a blessing to me and encouraging me. Say, are we tithing? Well, no. Well, if I, if I map it out, if I tithe, I won't have enough for the bills. Mammon, poverty, there's not enough. I have never in my life been in a place where I've been faithfully tithing on what God has brought into my home where I've missed a single bill. My children have never gone hungry. Quite the opposite. The Lord has opened the floodgates of blessing. And I'm already a little bit over. I can't go into it. Ask us about it. God has given us things and blessed us with things beyond what we can imagine. God paid off $10,000 of of credit card debt in a day. I woke up on a Friday morning. I had $10,000 of credit card debt. No job. No prospect of a job, no health insurance. I went to bed that night debt-free with a job and health insurance. I didn't see it coming. And I can't say it's because I'm so good. But I was faithful with the little bit that God gave me. First fruits. So what do I tithe on? What do I tithe on? And this becomes one of those questions. Well, is it gross or is it the net? Or is it just my paycheck or is it other things? Here's what Megan and I have established in our lives. It started when we were in college. People would give us food because we were poor, young, college, married married college students. And we would go to church and people would do things like this. 
We went to this store and got too much groceries. Do you want some? Who does that? And we would go home to the house that we, before we were married, actually, we were engaged. And we'd go back to the house where I was living with some other poor college students. And here's how we would tithe on it. We would take that food and we would cook for other people. And say, you know what, we want to be a blessing to other people. And we started working on disciplining ourselves. Anything unexpected that comes in, we sold a car, we tithe on that. We tithe when we get a, a check back from the IRS, we tithe on that. See, because here's the thing, this is not about figuring out how I can give God less. Because doesn't that just sound weird? It's not about figuring out how I can give God less. 10% is a great starting point. And I know people who give more than 10%, 20%. I know pastors who have, who have come to a place in their life where they're tithing more than half of their income. And so you tithe on whatever the Lord brings into your storehouse, however he brings it. You need to do business with the Lord in your own heart and what that looks like. But here's the thing. The tithe belongs to the Lord. There's no room in the tithe for this. Well, I'll tithe a bit here and tithe a bit there. I'll tithe a bit to this missionary. Can I tell you, if you're tithing to a missionary, it's not a tithe. It's an offering. To speak plainly, the tithe belongs to the Lord, and it's a no-strings-attached tithe. God, God says, bring the, the tithe, give your tithe, and don't write anything in the memo line. And all, I, again, I told you I was going to be blunt. But I want this church to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. I don't want us to be under a curse. So how do we undo that? Let's not rob from God. The tithe, the tenth, belongs to the Lord. Test him. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. Test him in this and see that he won't provide. So offerings, and I'll close with this. Say free will. Free will. In the Old Testament... God talked about free will offerings. These were over and above the tithe. This is when you saw need and you addressed that need and you said, I'm going to, God's moving on my heart to give this. There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, talks about sowing and reaping. Those who sow sparingly, reap sparingly. It's not a huge concept. If you're a farmer, if you put five seeds in the ground, that's what you're going to get, Right? But there's also a law of multiplication. If I put one apple seed in the ground, what do I get? Do I get one apple? No, I get a tree. And what does that, that tree produce? Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of apples over its life. And so there's sowing and reaping, but there's also multiplication that God will take our offerings, what we bring out of our free will as he moves on our hearts. And he says, I will use those gifts to multiply the work of my kingdom. That's why he points out the widow with her might who gives everything she has. And she says, that gift means more to me. I can do more with that because of the heart that was given. Free will, not under compulsion. I don't have time to go into that deeper. But I think we understand. At a fall kickoff, I, I made this statement and this challenge that God is calling us as a church to pray and, and believe by faith that our annual budget, about $200,000 a year, would become our annual missions giving. That's a lofty aspiration. That's a faith goal. And I believe that God is, it's not, it wasn't my idea, it was his idea, but I want to challenge us as a church. I ask this question, what kind of church would we need to be to see that realized? To see that 200,000. Not how big of a church. Please hear me. How many, not, not how big of a church. How many people would we need to have in the pews every week? How many wealthy people would we need to have here in the church? That's not what I'm saying. What kind of church, what kind of people would we need to be to see the Lord realize that faith goal in our lives? I believe simply if we walk out in obedience, his, his call to tithe and to give in the offering that we can't imagine what he will do. Amen? Is this helpful? Good. Let's stand together. I don't want a single one of you to leave here today 
with this thought in your mind. Went to church today and Pastor Barry told us I have to tithe. If that enters your mind, would you just silence the voice of the enemy? Please. My prayer is this. That as the Lord works on you this week, as you go to life group, as you chew on this, that the Lord would meet you in it and that he would move you to a place, if you're walking in obedience in the area of tithing, that he would up it to the next level for you. If you're struggling in this area, that God wants to bring breakthrough and blessing in your finances. He does. He truly does. Test him. And let's see what God will do. Father God, we acknowledge this morning that you are our provider. You are our source. You are our all in all. And that everything we have and everything we are belongs to you. And so, Lord, we don't give to you out of compulsion. We give, Lord, because we get to give. We give because what you've done for us is so awesome. Lord, we want to be found faithful in honoring you and blessing you. Lord, we don't want to rob you, and we certainly don't want to be under a curse. God, we pray against the spirit of mammon. God, we pray that you would drive back the destructive uh, voice of poverty and pride in this community and in this church. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you drive out the darkness and bring freedom in the area of finances in people's lives. Lord, we recognize today that there are men and women and families who have been shattered and destroyed because of money. And God, we declare in Jesus' name, no more. No more. That every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we can trust you at your word. We can take you at your word. Do that work in us, I pray. God, I pray that you would expand the resources of this church. That more men and women and children and young people would come to know you because of the faithful giving of new community. That our dollars would translate into lives reached for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, our prayer team will be up here available. Um, We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to partner with you. Be blessed as you go. Please connect with a life group this week. We'd love to see you at a life group Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights. Uh, Be blessed as you go. Invite someone to lunch. We'll see you next week.